Good morning and happy Labor Day weekend. Speaking of Labor Day, that's the theme of our study in the Word of God this morning. Um, this is a blurb from history.com about Labor Day. Labor Day pays tribute to the contribu contributions and achievements of American workers. It was created by the labor movement in the late 19th century and became a federal holiday in 1894. Labor Day also symbolizes the end of summer for many Americans and is celebrated with parties, parades, and athletic events. And to some people on planet Earth, maybe a little bit more than others, the end of summer sounds pretty good, doesn't it? We're going to read the passage from the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. That's what we're going to be looking at. The title of our message is uh, taken from verse 10. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. It's a bit of a attention grabber, um, but we're going to look at the whole passage here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 6 through 12. So let's, let's read it. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. But we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And this is one passage of many that uh, sets forth for us the biblical teaching on um, what we could call the, the sanctity of work. There's a prevailing attitude in the Western world, in the modern Western world, not so much um, the traditional historical Western world, but there is an attitude that basically says that work is a necessary evil, that really the uh, end game of life is leisure, in fact, there's, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a movement in the state of California uh, to basically create or mandate a four-day work week. And that doesn't mean working uh, four 10-hour days in a week. It's four eight-hour days in a week and uh, to make that the norm. And then you know how things go when things, things often start out in California and then that becomes the norm in the rest of the country. And sure, like you, 
I'm sure there's a part of me that says, yeah, great, sign me up for four days of, of work a week. Um, but we all know that if that happens, that's going to be a loss of productivity, a loss of national wealth. Um, and that betrays this, this attitude that work is a bad thing. Work is not a good thing. Like I said, a, a necessary evil. So we're going to look at this passage from Paul to try to get our biblical bearings we, we live in a world that's fallen, that's corrupt, that is opposed to what God says in his word on so many issues, including work. And so it's important for us for, from time to time to get our thinking recalibrated because we're just bombarded with the philosophy and values uh, of this world that uh, we, we need to come into God's house and to have our minds renewed about what God says, the, the truth of life in his world. So, looking at this passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, hello. I'm, I'm going to need a little help back there, Jaron. The first thing that we see here is Paul's warning in verse 6. Verse 6 of 2 Thessalonians Chapter 3. Now we remind you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, etc. So this warning from Paul comes in the form of an admonition to keep away from somebody, to, to avoid them to not hang out with them, don't spend time with them. Doesn't mean to be rude to them. Don't treat them like they have the plague, but basically don't spend enough time with them so that their bad habits and their bad worldview rubs off on them, on you. That's what Paul is basically saying. And you'll notice as we go on that this type of person that the believers in Thessalonica and us by extension are supposed to avoid is a professing Christian whose lifestyle is a flagrant contradiction of traditional Christian doctrine. Paul goes on to say that, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Tradition there doesn't just mean like church tradition, like uh, the Roman Catholic Church holds. It, it's simply the total body of apostolic teaching. The apostles taught in word and in writing. And uh, Paul is basically saying that this, this lifestyle, this way of uh, living that this particular person that we're supposed to avoid practices, lives in, it's, it's against Christian tradition. It's against the teaching of the New Testament. It's against apostolic teaching. And you'll notice that word idleness. We're supposed to avoid, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. 
That word literally means disorderliness. And there's a bunch of different forms of disorderliness. But this is one form of disorderliness. The, the refusal to work for a living. And there's an implication there that God expects us to live orderly lives. God himself is a God of order. He, he created an orderly universe, even in its fallen state. It's amazing how orderly the universe is. He's not the author of confusion, but of peace. And those who bear his image are supposed to live orderly lives as well. And that includes keeping ourselves busy with meaningful work, according to the Apostle Paul. Idleness, disorderliness. And you'll notice that Paul describes this person whom we're supposed to avoid uh, as walking in idleness. In other words, this is not just a temporary thing. This is not just a person taking a day off, taking a vacation, taking a breather, but it's their walk, it's their lifestyle, uh, it's their whole attitude about work that is plain to see in terms of how they live. Paul was addressing here professing Christians who are characteristically idle and lazy and frankly presumptuous because even though they refuse to work, they still want to be fed. And notice that walking in idleness is not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. The apostles taught that being a follower of Christ includes being a faithful and diligent worker. Lots of folks aren't aware of that. When you hear the word Christian, what it means to be a, a Christian, a Christ follower, there's all kinds of things that might come to your mind. Going to church regularly, that's certainly part of it. Uh, maybe not telling dirty jokes and using vulgarity anymore, and that's certainly part of it as, as well. But I wonder how many people realize that part of being a follower of Christ includes being a faithful and diligent worker. Jesus himself said in John chapter 5 and verse 17, my father is working until now, and I am working. That's a loaded statement from Jesus because if you think about uh, who the Bible describes Jesus to be, that really is a, a mouthful. So that statement from Jesus, my father is working until now and I am working, it means that, that Jesus is not just created in the image of God like the rest of us, but he is the image of God. He is the logos, the word of God, who was with God in the beginning and who was God. And he's the one in whose image we are being constantly conformed. And Jesus is constantly at work even now. 
because uh, through Jesus, all things were created. In fact, without him, nothing was made that was made, John chapter 1 and verse 3. And the Bible goes on to say that not only was all, were all things created through Jesus, but all things were created for Jesus. And in Jesus, all things hold together and consist. So we talked about an orderly universe. That's why there's an orderly universe. Because the logos, the living logic, the living word of God, who is God himself, is the one who is upholding all things by the power of his word, Jesus continues to be working. He's not the God of idleness. He's the God who works. He rests, but he works. Look with me in the book of Colossians for a minute. And here we're just uh, looking at a couple of representative passages here to make sure we have a biblical uh, worldview when it comes to, to work. I'm trying to see that what Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 3 was not an isolated passage. This is Bible 101 when it comes to work. So in Colossians chapter 1, for example, talking about Jesus in verses 15 and 16, he's the image of the invisible God. Remember, he's not just uh, we're not created in the image of God, or Jesus was not created in the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. He brings the invisible God into the visible realm. He, he makes God known in that sense. He's the firstborn of all creation. In other words, he has the rights of the firstborn over all of God's creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That includes the devil and his angels, created by Jesus. All things were created through him and for him. That's the purpose of the universe, to glorify the God of the Bible, including the Son of God, Jesus in verse 17, and he is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. Now if you skip over to Colossians chapter 3, based on this working of Christ in creation and providence, in sustaining all things, based on this working of Christ, we who are his followers are also called to be working. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Slaves. So this work ethic applies even to slaves. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Do your work for the Lord. Do it with a good attitude because the Lord sees the heart. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. There's a secondary benefit in that 
Generally speaking, in God's world, the diligent person will be rich. All other things being equal, the hardest workers do the best in God's world. That's a secondary benefit. The primary benefit is pleasing the Lord, receiving the inheritance from the Lord as your reward for your hearty, hard work. And he continues in verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ. And we'll leave that there. This, this is the heart and soul of the Christian work ethic. And Paul practiced what he preached. So back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he's not only commanding that the believers in Thessalonica practice a solid, faithful, biblical work ethic, but he practiced it, he practiced it himself. So notice in verses 7 and 9, Paul's example. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We should be imitators of Jesus primarily and those who themselves imitate Jesus like the Apostle Paul. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Um, in the book of Acts, we understand that uh, Paul was a tent maker and he could provide for himself. Sometimes when he was in a city spreading the gospel, doing the work of a missionary, uh, he was supported by contributing churches and believers. Uh, but other times he supported himself and his entourage. And um, it seems as though he had a strategic reason for providing for himself and his entourage while they were in Thessalonica. And that was specifically to set an example for the believers, to, to show them that the Christian work ethic is for everyone, including himself, the Apostle Paul. He didn't want anyone accusing him and his helpers of being lazy or of mooching off the church while they themselves did nothing. And it's not that Paul didn't have the right to be supported financially for doing the work of the ministry among them, and he says that in verse 9. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So uh, Paul's decision to give up that right and to support himself with his own hands was intentional. It was a strategic decision. And so we have Paul's example. And then Paul's command in verses 10 through 12, and this is the attention-getting verse. 
Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Those are strong words. In the Bible, there's this connection between working and eating. Even in in the Garden of Eden, it was that way. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, the Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work was a part of the original unspoiled paradise known as the Garden of Eden. It was part of God's original created order. Work itself was not a consequence of sin. The consequence of sin regarding work was that now because of sin, it's by the sweat of our brow that we have to work and we have to compete with thorns and thistles. It's not easy. Things don't always work out. It's hard and bitter sometimes. But work itself was a part of the original created order. Uh, And so even in the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam was going to be sustained by his working, by tending and keeping the garden. And then since the Garden of Eden, it's been even worse. It's been even more challenging. But the fact of the matter is that in God's world, and especially a world that is now cursed by sin, it takes hard work to produce enough food for us to eat. And if mankind in general refuses to work, then mankind will starve to death. There's this connection between working and eating. But it's more than just that general connection that Paul is driving at here. Obviously, in the first century Roman Empire, there was no uh, social safety net. There was no, there were no food stamps. There was no, there were no EBT cards, nothing of that sort. And so, uh, if somebody was unable to work for them uh, and provide for themselves, they were at the mercy of their family circle or the church, or they'd be out on the street begging, which a lot of poor people did. And because of that, the churches that the apostles set up in the first century were instructed to remember the poor. And as part of that instruction, they fed the the poor, particularly the poor among them, the poor saints. But Paul is reminding them here that the church is supposed to remember the poor and feed the hungry, but they're not supposed to enable disorderliness. There's supposed to be some sort of condition to be eligible for this social safety net from the local church in Thessalonica. And that is 
Is the person willing to work? Not, are they able to work? There's a lot of people, even in our congregation, who are not able to work. And I'm not trying to lay a burden on you that the Word of God doesn't. There are people who are disabled. There are people who are ill. There are people who want to work and can't find work. There are people who've worked for years and years and years and now they've entered into a well-earned season of, of retirement. And if you talk to a typical retired person, uh, a lot of them will say the most challenging thing about retirement is keeping themselves busy because it's, it's in us, it's wired in us to do meaningful work. And so I'm not saying everyone has the same capacity or the same responsibility to work. But, but by and large, in general, mankind is called to work. The um, refusal to work normally produces poverty and hunger. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And idleness, the refusal to work, idleness often leads to other sins. That's what Paul touches on next in verses 11 and 12. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. See, that's the thing. Uh, Nature abhors a vacuum. We're, We're going to be busy one way or another. Either we're going to be busy at work, busy at useful things, busy however we can, busy making the world a better place in in our little space and time. Or we're going to be busy in someone else's business. It's interesting how how Paul put that. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. And what's the solution? Verse 12, Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Be busy doing meaningful work and not busybodies in the context. Matthew Henry, maybe you're uh, familiar with Matthew Henry's commentary on, on the Bible. Matthew Henry wrote, The devil visits idle men with his temptations. God visits industrious men with his favors. It's a general rule. So here's Paul's instruction from 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 12. Um, I'd like to bring before you a couple of takeaways, two takeaways to be exact. And the first one, it should be obvious, it's a reminder that hard work is a Christian virtue. Hard work is a Christian virtue. 
Um, I've read a lot about the Protestant work ethic over time, but especially this, this last week. But the reason why there's a Protestant work ethic is because there's a biblical work ethic. But the um, champion of the Protestant work ethic was Martin Luther, the great German reformer, and he wrote a lot about it, uh, about the sanctity of, of all work. And of course, one of the things uh, that Martin Luther was challenging in his day and age was the idea that the only sacred work was work done in the Roman Catholic Church by priests and monks and the hierarchy in the church. And the, uh, the revolution that Martin Luther introduced onto the scene at that time was the idea that, that all work, all callings, all occupations are sacred as long as they're, they're unto the Lord. That was groundbreaking. It's hard for us to relate to, I suppose. Now we take it for granted, but that was groundbreaking. But Martin Luther wrote this. What you do in your house is worth as much as if you did it up in heaven for our Lord God. We should accustom ourselves to think of our position and work as sacred and well-pleasing to God. That's so important to get into our minds. Don't just work for a paycheck. Don't just, although a paycheck is great, don't get me wrong, it's part of it. Jesus taught the worker is worthy of his wages, but it's not just about wages. It's not just about a paycheck. What, what, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, no matter where that is, even if you don't get a paycheck. Um, the, the, the norm in first century times was that uh, the, the man was the breadwinner, the husband, the um, father, and women were typically workers at, in the home. Titus chapter 2 talks about that. There were exceptions. You can read about that in um, Proverbs chapter 31. That faithful wife was involved in all kinds of enterprises outside of the, the home, and times have definitely changed. And uh, women today uh, work. Sometimes they're single and they work. Sometimes they work to help support the family income, and uh, w wives can do that and be faithful to their husbands because they're being a, a helpmate to their husbands in that, in that sense. Anyway, just trying to say that this principle of working hard and working as unto the Lord applies to all of us, whether we're drawing a paycheck or not, whether you're a worker at home or whether you're retired or not, there's always something that we can do in order to uh, benefit our fellow mankind and to advance the borders of Christ's kingdom. And it's good to remind ourselves of that because of the prevailing attitude in our culture. Here's an example. Tom Kreider wrote in the New York Times in 2012, and here he's talking about the Protestant work ethic, the Puritans turned work into a virtue. 
evidently forgetting that God invented it as a punishment. And so there's an example of a secular writer who doesn't know his Bible. He's trying to say that work was invented by God as a punishment. We've already seen from Genesis 2 and verse 15, that's not true, that's false. Work is not a punishment. It's the institution from God. And if you think about all of the ways in which God has shed his grace upon the United States of America, I think this is a primary one. There's a lot of other countries in the world that have natural resources, and they're not as wealthy in, as the United States of America is. But we have a tradition that has been incredibly influenced by the Protestant work ethic. It's, it's part of our American tradition to, uh, to, to work hard. In fact, the rest of the world looks at, us, at Americans like we're workaholics. And I believe that that is under attack in our culture today, in the culture and from without. I mentioned the four-day work week. Well, this is the whole point of Marxism to detach this connection from working and eating. Uh, it's, it's the slogan of, um, of communism, of, of Marxist socialism. Uh, from each according to his ability to each according to his need. That breaks the chain between working and eating because now it's the state that figures out what you are going to get or not get. So hard work is a Christian virtue. Let's never forget that. Let's be lights in darkness about that. And frankly, we should oppose any sort of public policy that goes against that as believers. The second takeaway is, and you might not have guessed this, but this is really embedded strongly in these texts. Don't let your eschatology be a distraction. Uh, and let me explain that. Don't let your eschatology be a distraction. Paul wrote two letters to the church in Thessalonica. And it's really interesting. We, we looked in chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Do you know that the... Uh, a big problem or a big source of the practical problems in Thessalonica was what we could call over-realized eschatology. In other words, they believed that the second coming of Christ had come and gone. In 2 Tim, uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2, for example, uh, he writes not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And then in chapter 3, he goes on to write the instruction about uh, working in order to eat. Well, the same thing happens in 1 Thessalonians so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verses 13 through 18, 
And, and on into chapter 5, there's this teaching from Paul about the coming of the day of the Lord. This is the only time in the Bible when uh, the rapture is specifically mentioned. And I'm not going to get into a whole lot of specifics there, except to, to say that the rapture, according to the Bible, is, is coincident with, it's at the same approximate time as the coming of the Lord, not separated by thousands of years, frankly, and the rapture is not secret. It's very loud, very public, very noisy. But here's what I want you to, to, to notice. Before that teaching, that section in 1 Thessalonians 4 and after, you have more instruction from, from Paul on the importance of work. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 11 and 12, um, we urge you, brothers, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your own hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And then chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good and one another uh, to one another and to everyone. So it's interesting that Paul writes so much to the church in Thessalonica about keeping busy in this life in light of the second coming of Christ. And we've already seen that um, there's a specific example of false teaching circulating in the church in Thessalonica about the second coming of Christ. So without getting into a lot of details about the second coming of Christ, the, the big takeaway there from Paul is this. In light of the second coming of Christ, be busy, be faithful, doing what God has called you to do in this life. Here's how Jesus put it. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 46. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing, and in the context, that means being faithful when he comes. We're supposed to be waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming again. What are we supposed to do? There were some people in Thessalonica who had their eschatology all messed up and they decided to go ahead and quit their jobs and throw themselves at the mercy of the church. There are some people today who make themselves of no practical value in the world, God's world, and in the church. 
because they're so caught up with the mechanics and the specifics and the nitnoids of Christ's second coming. And because they're so consumed with that, they're basically useless. They're not as fruitful as they could be and ought to be. The, the expectation from Jesus in light of his second coming is to not be so consumed with that that we get distracted from the real practical, down-to-earth, real-world things that God has called us to do in this life. Working, taking care of our families, being witnesses for Christ, serving one another in the church. That's the lesson of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. That's even the lesson of this uh, command, this section that we looked at, uh, that features those stark words from Paul, if, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That, that's true, but there's a bigger picture than that. Let's be faithful with the simple, obvious, practical things that Christ has called us to be faithful at until he comes. Yes, we need to be aware of, the word of, of what the word of God says about Christ's second coming. Yes, it's good for us to know the times and the seasons, but a good check to see if, number one, you're actually believing the right thing about the second coming, and number two, you're believing the right thing in the right way is to check yourself. Are you preoccupied so that you're not as fruitful as you can be? Well, may God help us to be faithful servants of Christ and may God help us to be witnesses for um, what he has ordained for human life in this world in terms of work. Let, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your example that six days you created the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that is in them, and you rested from your work of creation as an example for us. Thank you that Jesus himself is working, and we thank you for his great work of redemption on Calvary's cross. We do pray for ourselves, Lord, that we would be faithful servants of his and forgive us, forgive me, Lord, for not honoring God in our work and in our attitude about work. And would you help us to be zealous and to repent and to be faithful witnesses of and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.